Adam sinned and brought death to the whole race. By the way, this truth of imputation or having something charged to our account or having something charged to Christ's account, there are three imputations in the Bible. And uh, the flesh hates all three of them. You know what I mean? The natural man doesn't like them. He just doesn't want to hear about them. First, there's Adam's sin to the race. Adam's sin was charged to my account. That's all there is to it. First imputation. Second imputation, the race's sin was charged to Christ's account. And third imputation, Christ's righteousness is charged to our account, was imputed to us. Welcome to Downtown Bible Class with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Today we continue in our study of the book of Romans. Pastor Scott brings a message titled, Adam and Christ. We invite you to follow along with us now as we get started. Justification by faith. The whole theme of Romans, and certainly these early chapters, and as we come to chapter 5, he started the chapter by saying, therefore, having been justified by faith. Now, I uh, think there's many ways that you could look at chapter 5, but I have encouraged you to be thinking in terms of the permanence of our justification, and in particular, three ways that it is guaranteed. Uh, The first guarantee of our permanent justification. Justification by faith. What What if my faith fails? What if my faith isn't as strong as it ought to be? What if circumstances come into my life and my faith falters? And you remember the first five verses of the chapter. He explained that faith never fails when God works in a life and there's belief in Jesus Christ. Then whatever comes your way will not destroy your faith. It will purify your faith. And we looked at that in detail. And we can exult even in our tribulations because faith will be strengthened and will result in that unshakable hope in Jesus Christ. But then I would encourage you to get your eyes off your faith completely and on to the love of God. And that's what we looked at last time, verses 6 through 11, the second guarantee of the permanence of justification. He justified you when you were a sinner. He loved you. When you were helpless, ungodly, an enemy of His, much more, now that He has declared you righteous, now that you're reconciled to Him, He'll take care of you. You'll be saved from the wrath of God through Jesus Christ. And uh, you can't say too much about that. In fact, I encourage you to memorize these verses. But now chapter 5, verse 12, through the end. 12 through 21 not only closes off the major section of justification in Romans, but it lays the foundation for the next section, sanctification. And it has to do with our identification with Christ. And the third great guarantee of the permanence of our justification, of our salvation, is the analogy that he draws here between Adam and Christ. And we want to look at it... uh, in detail. Now, last time as I closed off, I mentioned that every blessing we have comes through Jesus Christ. 
Every aspect of justification is found through Him. I mean, look at verse 1. Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 2, through whom we have, or we exult in, you know, we've been obtained, we've obtained our introduction. Everything about it is through Christ. Verse 10, we shall be saved by His life. Verse 11, and not only this, we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, he has said that repeatedly, but he's going to insist on it one more time. And as I said, this not only uh, closes off, you might say, and nails the final truth about justification down, but it lays the foundation for the next section. Our sanctification or our holiness of life, our being set apart to Christ, is founded on our relationship and identity with Christ. Now let's just read it, starting at verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of Adam's offense." who is a type of him who was to come. But the free gift is not like the transgression. For if by the transgression of the one the many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to the many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For on the one hand, the judgment arose from transgression, from one transgression, resulting in condemnation. But on the other hand, the free gift arose from many transgressions, resulting in justification. For if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. So then as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, even so, through one act of righteousness, there resulted justification of life to all men. For as through one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, even so, through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. Now, I hope you've been reading that. I read it right now. And I want us to get the text in our minds. But uh, I will say what might kind of surprise you even after reading it, because you almost have to watch yourself reading it to keep it straight. It's a fairly simple analogy. It is an analogy. It is a type. Adam was a type of Christ, a foreshadowing of Christ. Look at the end of verse 14. Adam, who is a type of him who was to come, the coming one the long-awaited one. Adam was a type of Christ. The Bible uses this term type. He was a foreshadowing or he was the imprint. Uh, the, the word actually comes from the imprint that something makes. And uh, we usually think of the imprint being after the fact, but in God's economy, he can show us ahead of time. And he did through the Old Testament. There are many types, imprints, you might say, replicas, foreshadowings of the real thing that we find in the New Testament in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Adam, by the way, is the only one that I'm aware of 
that is actually named as a type right here. He said that he is a type of Christ. So we do well to look at the analogy. Now, usually when you think of an analogy, you think of someone saying, uh, this is like that. And that's certainly going to happen here. But he also, and you can also use an analogy to say, this is quite unlike that. And so you can have a comparison, and he's going to compare the two men, and you can have a contrast, and he's going to contrast the two men. You'll see both here. And just uh, just watch it unfold. He repeats himself. He adds... Now, theologians have written thousands of pages on this passage. There are hundreds of articles on this 12 through 21. Lots of little side issues debated and that sort of thing, but I, re- I remain uh, convinced that he wants it to be understood. It's fairly simple. It's an analogy between Adam and Christ. And he restates it several times, and each time he restates it, you can add flavor to what you're seeing and understanding, and it is liberating truth. And it guarantees our justification. We rest solely on another, Jesus Christ. And he's been laboring all through Romans to show that our justification is completely dependent on someone other than ourselves, Jesus Christ. And perhaps there's no place clearer in the Bible than this latter half of chapter 5 to explain why that is so. So hang on and watch carefully as it unfolds. Now let me just say in a preliminary way, there are two men in the passage, Adam and Christ. There are two acts, one of self-willed disobedience and one of humble obedience, self-sacrificial obedience. There are two results, death and life, condemnation and justification. And there are two reigns or two kings, death and life. Uh, Having said that, there's two men, there's two acts, there's two results, there's two reigns. Having said that, the key word is one. One. One man. One sin. One act of righteousness. In fact, he finally says, I think it's at the end of, look at the end of verse 17. Through the one, capital O. Through the one, Jesus Christ. Twelve times. Twelve times in this short section, he uses this term, one. Now, uh, as in Adam, all die. So also in Christ, all shall be made alive. That's not Romans. As in Adam, all die. So also in Christ, all shall be made alive. That's Corinthians 15, verse 22, I think. And in one sense, you can take Romans 5 and say, this is Paul's comment on Paul's comment. (laughs) Paul made that great statement in Corinthians 15, and he explains it here uh, for about 10 verses. As in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. Just as Adam's one sin brought condemnation to the whole race, to all who are in Adam, so Christ's one act of righteousness at the cross brings justification of life to all who are in Christ. Somebody said, uh, 
When God looks at the race, and I, I just say somebody, I'm not giving it, it's not a Bible verse, you know, but it, it's a thought-provoking thought. When God looks at the race, He sees two men, Adam and the last Adam, Christ. You're either in one or the other. And that's the truth of it. You are either in one or the other. And uh, when He looks at men, He either sees them in Adam, in their sin, or in Christ, in his righteousness. Now, I don't think you can miss it. Let me just show you verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man, sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men. Verse 18. So then, as through one transgression, there resulted resulted condemnation to all men, even so through one act of righteousness, there resulted justification of life to all men. Verse 19. For as through one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. In fact, really, I could almost read each individual verse and say it's stating this same truth. He's driving it home. Verse 15, 16, and 17 could be included. Uh, But I want us to see that, and he wants us to see that. And then let's take a look at it and let it unfold kind of as a paragraph. First of all, verse 12. Verse 12, the initial statement of it. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world. One man, Adam, through one act, the sin in the Garden of Eden, just as through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin. The day you eat of that tree, you shall surely die. Adam did and death entered into the world. Universal death. That's why people die today. That's why there aren't some who are doing pretty well and aren't going to die. No. Death reigns, he goes on and says in here. It's universal. Stop and just ponder that for a minute. Apply that in your own life. We have a a big, big tendency, part of our sin nature, is to minimize sin. Not think too high, you know, not too, it's not so bad. And don't ever think lightly of sin. It's just... It's just taking a piece of forbidden fruit. (laughs) It's just this once. Any sin in your life today is enough guilt before almighty and holy and righteous God to condemn the whole race. I mean, we could certainly think of more atrocious-seeming sins, couldn't we, than what Adam did? But his one act of disobedience brought condemnation and death into the whole race. And he says that right here at the very start. God hates sin. Hate sin, you who love the Lord, the 97th Psalm says. Romans 12, 9 says, abhor, abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. I know. That before you go to bed tonight, you're going to be tempted to kind of minimize sin. Oh, it's not so bad. <laughs> no big deal. Nobody know about it or whatever. That's just the way we're built. I will be too. Tempted. Don't minimize sin. Sin is awful. The fear of the Lord, Proverbs 8 verse 13 says, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. You know, I think of that great book of uh, wisdom. And he says, the fear of the Lord, that's the beginning of wisdom. The knowledge of the Holy One. Well, the fear of the Lord is to hate 
evil. So uh, don't minimize sin. But uh, now notice verse 12, he just simply says Adam's side of the analogy and stops. He said, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin and so death spread to all men because all sinned. And then there's a dash in my Bible and it's rightfully there. The punctuation well expresses what happens. He drops the analogy at that point. He just gives one side of it. And he doesn't come back. Notice it says just as, verse 12, and you don't get to the so then to verse, till verse 18. So then, and then he picks it back up and explains it once again. But uh, he says, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Now notice, he doesn't say, look at the last phrase there. He doesn't say because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. He's not talking about the fact that we all have sinned. That's true enough. We've already seen that. Romans labors to prove that. We're all sinners. But that's not really the argument of Romans 5. He's not talking about your sin and my sin. We've got plenty of that. We've all sinned, yes. But when Adam sinned, all sinned, he says here in verse 12. Don't miss that. You see, God God uh, held a judgment day in Eden. He held a judgment day in Eden. Now, verse 12 ends with a dash, and then he kind of explains. Verse 13, for until the law, and he's speaking of the Mosaic law, for until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even though over those who had not sinned in the likeness of Adam's offense, who is a type of him who was to come. Uh, Until the law, sin was in the world, but sin isn't imputed when there is no law. Yet, all this time before Moses, people were dying, death was reigning. What, what's the deal here? Well, the death resulted from Adam's sin. And in one sense, what he's saying here, and I don't want to be misunderstood, and he doesn't want to be misunderstood, but he says it very clearly, we die because Adam brought condemnation to the whole race when he sinned. Now, we need to see that Adam sinned as a representative. His name means mankind, man. And he sinned as a representative of the whole race. And we don't think of it much that way, especially in the Western world. We're so individualistic. We think in terms of our own actions being independent from everybody else's. And we don't see the corporate responsibilities we have. But, uh, but still, we can understand this. I think in the Bible even gives analogies of this. You know, when Adam sinned, I sinned. Uh, during the war, World War II, uh, my dad checked into the Army Air Force in Florida. And uh, during the war then, my grandpa came out here from Florida out to Hood River and out really out to Portland at the time to uh, work in the shipyards during the war. And when my dad got out of the, out of the service, he came back here to the Northwest. I came out here to the Northwest. I didn't have any choice. I was born out here in Oregon. That's just the way things work. Turn over to Hebrews 7 for a minute. Let me show you a quick analogy of this, and I hope uh, you can just take a quick peek at it with me. In Hebrews 7, he's using this same truth uh, to illustrate another truth. In Genesis, why Melchizedek blessed Abraham. 
And in the book of Hebrews, he's pointing out, uh, chapter 7, verse 14, that our Lord is our high priest, but it's evident that he wasn't born into the priesthood tribe. He wasn't born into the tribe of Levi. He was born into the tribe of Judah. Verse 14, it's evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, a tribe with reference to which Moses spoke nothing concerning priests. But he goes on, if you remember, in Hebrews and points out that, no, our Lord was really a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. And then he shows that that priesthood, which is in Genesis 14, is a higher one, a greater one than even the Levitical priesthood. Step back at verse uh, 6, and he says, The one whose genealogy is not traced from them collected a tenth from Abraham. When Abraham came back, From the warfare, he tithed to Melchizedek in Genesis 14 and blessed the one who had the promises. But without any dispute, the lesser is blessed by the greater. And in this case, mortal men receive tithes, but in that case, one receives them of whom it is witnessed that he lives on. And so to speak, through Abraham, even Levi, who received tithes, paid tithes. Levi paid tithes, and this would shock the Jewish mind. You mean the priest? The priesthood tribe? The Levitical priests paid tithes to another? Yeah. Verse 10, for he was still in the loins of his father Abraham when Melchizedek met him. It was Abraham, really, his, uh, what, great-grandfather who paid tithes to Melchizedek, but Levi did so, the Bible says, by analogy. Now, turn back to Romans 5 and notice that Paul doesn't defend this. He just simply states it. He doesn't apologize for it. He simply says, Adam sinned. We all sinned. Now, there was no written law prior to Moses. And so people didn't sin in the same way that Adam had. Adam sinned in willful disobedience to a direct command of God. And sin is not imputed when there is no law, he says, but yet death reigned throughout this whole era. Why is that? Because Adam sinned and brought death to the whole race. We die not for our personal sin in effect, but for Adam's sin. By the way, this truth of imputation or having something charged to our account or having something charged to Christ's account, there are three imputations in the Bible. And uh, the flesh hates all three of them. (laughs) You know what I mean? The natural man doesn't like them. He just doesn't want to hear about them. If you're sitting here bristling not liking what you're hearing, it won't surprise me, because all three of the imputations, uh, the flesh doesn't like. And I've talked to people personally over the years on each one of these three and seen them just say, I I don't like that. I I can't accept that. And so they just willfully try not to, but they live with the consequences. And sometimes uh, that is enough in itself to help them awake. You've been listening to Downtown Bible Class with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Please stay with us. Pastor Scott will return in just a moment with a preview of our next broadcast. Today's program was titled, Adam and Christ, a message from our series in the Book of Romans. If you missed a portion of the message heard on the program today, or you'd like to share it with a friend, head on over to downtownbible.org. A free copy of today's entire message is available there for you to stream or download at your convenience. We're thrilled to announce the publication of a new book written by Pastor Scott Gilchrist. It's called A Brief Exposition of Romans. 
It's a 266-page chapter-by-chapter commentary on Romans that we're sure will enhance your understanding of this critical book in the New Testament. The book is available online at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and most other online booksellers. But during our study of Romans, we'd like to send you a copy as a thank you for a gift of any amount to the ministry of Downtown Bible. You can find us online at downtownbible.org or by mail at P.O. Box 19191, Portland, Oregon, 97280. We'd love to put this valuable resource in your hands. Downtown Bible only remains on the air through the generous contributions of listeners like you. We'd like to ask you to prayerfully consider partnering with us on a regular basis to help us meet our day-to-day expenses. Now, before we end our time today, let's go to Pastor Scott for a preview of our next broadcast. Adam is a type of him who was to come. How? Well, he goes on and explains it. He says he's a representative head, just as Adam's one sin brought death, unfailingly so, so Christ's one act of righteousness brings life and justification. And even when there was no personal sin, I was condemned. And so I am justified even when there's no personal righteousness. And there isn't. Remember what he just said? We had no personal righteousness, and yet he justified us. Just as Adam's sin brought condemnation without any personal guilt on our part, no sin of it all, so Christ's one act of righteousness brings justification when there's no personal righteousness, and there isn't. We have none. As I say, our justification depends on another. Join us again next time as we continue our series through the book of Romans. Pastor Scott brings part two of the message titled, Adam and Christ. Until then, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you.